God by his own word and by his own decree and his own law, God's own law refuses him the right to do anything about it if we walk contrary to his divine will, his divine way. And that's what he's saying here. Actually, if we defile, ruin, or mar, or injure the temple of God according to God's laws and what he has said, those laws, uh, we're, we're actually destroying ourselves. God has set it forth that way. Now, Paul, no doubt, in his writings was thinking about the penalty that was attached to anyone that desecrated the temple in Jerusalem. And there was an inscription on the middle wall of the petition that threatened death should any Gentile or any impure person set foot within the sacred enclosure. Well, actually, what it's really saying is a temple, whether it's individual or whether it's a body of believers, is holy. Mm -hmm. I think it's set forth that way. The temple is holy. And uh, if it is, is said that we are holy, then we are holy because of the holiness of God. And he leaves laws to guide that. And because the temple is holy, it deserves to be regarded with reverence. I wonder sometimes if we really regard the body of Christ with reverence. You see, what we do is see its weaknesses and see its fallacies. And we see its failures. And some way in our twisted thinking, we can't believe that it deserves reverence. But if God, who is holy, indwells us then and makes us holy and is a part of us holy then regardless of what we see or do it ought to be reverence as the temple of god if so, if the power of god dwells in somebody then we ought to regard it for our own safety's sake we ought to regard that temple as holy made holy by the lord regardless of the uh, fallibility of it or regardless of the the uh what would you say the marring part of it that judgment needs to be left up to God. And the temple of God should be honored. It should be regarded with honor at all times and adoration. And uh, if you look at it, men treat the palaces with kings with great respect. You ever notice that? They, this is the palace. This is the White House. All, all of this, where great men dwell, they simply treat it with great respect. And how much more, how much greater should we reverence that which God has set forth and God has chose to be his dwelling place. God chose humanity to dwell in. We had very little to do with it. He just simply says, I want to dwell in you. I want you to be my people. I want to be your God. Right. And we certainly have no right to pick and choose who God wants to dwell in. And when he takes up his abode, we need to be careful. That's the reason I asked the question, do you suppose that this writer really meant what he said, that if we defile or if we ruin or if we mar the temple of God, even our own lives, or say or do something that would hurt or destroy somebody else, uh, well then by our own actions we're actually destroying ourselves? Have you ever imagined you are the body of Christ, you are part of the body of Christ, and the Bible tells us when we bite and devour one another, do you ever happen to realize that when you're biting on your fellow man, you're actually biting yourself? Mm -hmm. Have you ever stopped long enough to think about that? That we're actually, whenever we're marring the temple of God or the body of Christ, not treating it with reverence, we're actually marring or bringing to ruin something we are a part of. I think maybe that's the reason he was putting it in such strong language. If any man defile or mar or bring to ruin or do something uh, that would bring destruction or something like that or ruin the character of somebody, why then uh, that same one God will destroy or because of God's laws. 
he himself is going to be marred and going to be hurt. And we want to recognize that what God chooses to dwell in is his business. What he chooses to do with that really is his business. And whenever men treat palaces with all of their uh, faults, I suppose, and I'm sure there are a lot of places that is uh, not just right, but men still reverence those places. Mm -hmm. How much deeper reverence, again, should we have for that which God has chosen to dwell in? There is a scripture I don't think we pay much attention to, like most of us, uh, some of the scriptures that we don't like that seem to get next to us, we're just prone to cast them off and search out for scriptures that we just kind of like, mm -hmm. that maybe set us in a good light. But there is a scripture in 1 Chronicles 6, 16.22 that simply says, Touch not mine anointed, and do my prophets no harm. Now that simply was an Old Testament way of saying what Paul wrote in the New Testament, that it is up to God to handle that which he sets in the temple. It's up to his word to handle this, and we actually stand in dangerous territory when we begin to encroach upon the rights of Jesus Christ and where he dwells. Amen. We're standing on dangerous territory. Now, I don't think we realize that so much. If we did, we wouldn't be as prone to mar or do some injustice to somebody which God has said they are part of you and you are part of them. And we'd be a little bit more careful when we realize that. And that's strong words, but I think maybe it might be good if we look at them a little bit and be a little bit more cautious on what we're doing. We think sometimes what we say or do or actions doesn't bother anybody. But uh, the individual we're hurting or marring is hurt, and certainly this is going to come back on us. By God's law, he just simply says that him shall God destroy or mar or bring to ruin. In other words, spiritual death will certainly incur if we continue to walk in those paths. A lot of people are living spiritual death now, really, that think they are alive. And uh, this place that God has chosen to dwell, in among this body of believers, shouldn't be defiled, shouldn't be destroyed. Every member of Christ's church is called upon to purify himself. And he's done this simply because impurity soon dishonored the sacred edifice that God has put together. And they was always admonished to be sure that there was purity there when they entered in. Now there was punishment in the Old Testament. There was punishment when they were brought an injury or a mar to the old temple. Now the priest, Aaronic priest, that violated the ancient temple was doomed to death. I mean it was just that solemn mm -hmm. thing that when they simply did something to violate that temple and that understand this, that was just that's right that was just something placed by man's hand that they chose for God to dwell there, but yet it was so sacred to them that if a priest or anybody else violated uh, set to naught some of the rules that was placed there, these people were doomed to death, I mean that's exactly the way it was, and injuries to the church, injuries to individuals that uh, stand and our God's church stand to meet the same fate. Not a natural death necessarily, but because transgression of God's laws always bring death. You know that as well as I do. Unconfessed sins, transgressions, injuries, uh, marring, bringing to ruin. Uh, in other words, placing our hand something on something and uh, causing it to be 
not secret in our life whom God has said is secret. I realize that humanity don't live up to our expectations. I realize that the temple of God as he chooses to dwell in us as, as a church, as a body, as a whole, and also as individuals doesn't come off to meet the expectations of our own eyes, expectations of our own thoughts and what have you, but still we've got to realize this is God. Mm -hmm. He chose to dwell here. And what he chooses to do then with that temple actually is really up to him, isn't it? Right. And what God was actually saying is, what I made holy, you leave alone. In other words, you keep your hands off of that which I have chosen to dwell in. Right. You let my word alone do the necessary things in those lives. Yes, man. And for us, and that's a solemn warning. And some way when I looked at that, I thought the terminology the Apostle Paul used in the Old Testament when I just read that, uh, touch not might anointed, and all of God's people are anointed. And so actually that's, that's a reference to them. Touch not, not might anointed. Do my prophets no harm, the people that sent. In other words, what you like or dislike, you leave it alone because you are the one that stands in dangerous territory when you touch it. Amen. And maybe if we can really realize that, instead of relying so much on the mercy of God, some way look at that and realize that in that verse, 1 Corinthians 3.16, Know ye not that you are the temple of God. That's first off, that's important. And the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. And then immediately after that, there is a solemn warning a humanity to keep his hands off on that which God has chosen. Amen. And I say this morning in some way, God help us mm -hmm. to realize that this has probably been the spiritual graveyard for a lot of people and they have never recognized what's wrong in their life. It's true. Amen. A lot of sickness, sorrow, despair has been incurred by individuals who have, in a sense, unwittingly placed their hands upon that which was God, desecrated the temple, desecrated the character of an individual. A little gossip session tore down somebody's influence upon somebody's life and in a sense marked the very thing you are a part of. Right. That's the thing maybe it would be good if we could drive home, that we are actually eating ourselves and destroying that which God has placed us and made us be a part of. We're actually tearing down something that we say is sacred to us. Good solemn warning from the Apostle Paul. Amen. Good solemn warning from him before he goes any farther whatsoever. It's that warning that we ought to be careful about the injustices. Now verse 17 and the Greek verb simply means to bring to a worse state. And that's simply repeated. And uh, what we do to God's temple as a church or an individual, and what we do to injure it actually is going to come back and injure us. Right. And how, how, why would it? Simply because we are a part of that which we're injuring. Right. And there's no possible way we can escape. If we're hurting, injuring, and marring the body of Christ, and we ourselves are a part of it, we ourselves are becoming injured, bitten by our own self, right. destroyed by our own words. And we need to recognize that. I, maybe we'd be more careful. We are human nature, and uh, we are human, and it is human. Now, come on and agree with me. It is human that seems like almost anymore you just almost have to talk about somebody. Great God. Come on. All right. Well, if that's the case, Let's talk about the Lord. 
It's not a good subject. Let's talk about God. Let's think about what He has done. And then let's try our best. Now, it's hard, I know, for us to look out on some people and see any good in them. I realize that. Probably hard for some of you to see any good in me. That's not your business. That's God's business. He saw some good in me, and He filled me with His power, and He sent me in His body. Amen? And actually what he has told you, the same as he's told me, now you keep your hands off of it. Amen? And he does that not just because you're destroying or hurting these individuals, but he's trying to tell you, you're getting hurt. Yes. And you know, every man loves himself, and we can never recognize we are hurting ourselves. Maybe we wouldn't do it as often. When you spew out these words of vengeance upon somebody in a fit of anger because childlike something hasn't went wrong or went right in your way, and you spew these out, you hardly ever think that this is turning to haunt you. You're actually tearing down what you're part of. Amen. Maybe we just be a little bit more careful. I think that's what Paul is trying to say now when he puts us in these real strong words that... Uh, we'll be brought to a worse state. Now, there is no way, now, agree with me, you'll have to, there is no way that we can put down, injure, hurt, or destroy, and build up anything, is there? Right. So, actually, anytime any of this has happened, whether it's a little mar or whether it's a big one, we're actually bringing to a worse state. Mm -hmm. We're actually making it worse than what it was. We're putting a dent in the can, we're uh, putting some Mars on the building, we're doing something to tear it down and bring it to our worst state. And we're actually bringing ourselves, in a sense, to final ruin. Because, as I say again, if we're entering the church of God and hurting it, it and we claim to be a part of it, then it's just simple as that, uh, we're hurting ourselves. Right. And God's jealous. The scriptures tell us God is a jealous yes, God. You know that. And uh, God is jealous of his people. God's jealous of what he chooses to dwell in. Now, if he wants to lay down some very strict things for us to adhere to, that's his business, and we need to do it. And God is just that jealous that he has chosen us. He saw something about us where he dwelt us with his spirit, and he set us in the body as it pleases him. And if he chooses to challenge us and chastise us and move us about, then that's his business. Right. He's got a right to do that, and he becomes real jealous. When somebody else tries to do his work, right? that's right. He becomes real jealous about about his church. He is a jealous God, and uh, he simply won't allow men to do evil against his body without punishment. That's true. And a lot of that punishment comes unbeknown. Seem like seem like people are are unwilling to admit, or else they simply unwittingly don't, unwittingly don't know. But I've seen individuals that suffer suffered sickness, suffered some type of calamity in their uh, household or what have you, immediately after they have taken it on themselves to do something that belonged to God. Right. And they didn't understand what was the matter. Well, what was the matter is we marred something, and while we was doing that, we put a mark on ourselves. Mm -hmm. And we was hurting ourselves at right. the same time. Right. And maybe there wouldn't be as many sick and weakly, as Paul says, among us, if we simply recognize the body of Christ. That's what he was actually saying in those terms, is uh, we simply don't recognize the body of Christ as what it is. And for this cause, many are sick, he said, weak among you, and some even die. Oh, Lord, my Lord. 
In other words, he was telling them, we didn't discern the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. We simply did not discern what we was doing to what. Right. right amen. And because of that, he said, people are weak. The body is weak. Individuals are weak. Some people simply even die because the divine laws of God declares that this is what's going to happen. An individual will keep getting weaker and weaker and weaker. You let bitterness enter into the heart, and it does enter into Christian life. You let it enter into that, and you watch that gradually destroy that individual. And while it's destroying him, it's weakening and marring and hurting the body in which he's attached to. Amen. You see, we're not an island in ourselves. We simply cannot live by ourselves. We try to, but we can't do it. And as quick as we recognize what the body of Christ is and discern the body of Christ, I personally believe that there wouldn't be as much sickness, there wouldn't be as many weaknesses in the church, and maybe there wouldn't be as much death in the church because we recognize the body of Christ. We're not recognizing that physical body that Jesus had, but we're trying to discern the many-membered body, which is His body, which is the church. Right. And discerning that body, what it is for, what it does. And God being a jealous God simply, well, He just separates and puts some things in His own hands. And those that sin directly against the body of Christ actually sin directly against God because He chooses it and His own. Now then, how? Some of the questions here, how can we injure the temple of God, mar the body of Christ, bring to ruin the body of Christ? Well, I think number one is false doctrine. And, uh, you know, I've said this often, you can identify a person when he comes in with completely erroneous doctrine. You know it, it's erroneous, you don't swallow it. There's no way you'll be a part of it. But just let him mix a little bit of truth with this error that he has, and immediately people begin to swallow. Mm -hmm. So Satan is that. So false doctrines comes in, a departure from the truth of God. Mm -hmm. And of course this hurts the body of Christ. And then unchristian-like unchristian -like spirits enter in. Personal unholiness. Personal unholiness. I mean, uh, everything's fine. Just do whatever you want to do. Uh, go wherever you want to go. Say whatever you want to say, be whatever you want to be, and still some way hang on your claim that you belong to the body of Christ. Personal unholiness defiles the body of Christ. Right. Gossiping sessions and backbiting sessions probably is the greatest hindrance to the body of Christ there is. And uh, now I wouldn't ask you to hold up your hand, but you know as well as I do, there's a whole lot of that going on. Mm -hmm. And uh, Paul tells us that it is. And then having a judgmental attitude. Now that probably fits, that shoe would probably fit on one foot or other of your balls. Amen? It probably would, in all honesty, we have a tendency to be judgmental. Mm -hmm. And the finest person in the world will pick out what he is best at and his strongest point. And then he'll set somebody else up beside him and judge this man by what he is. Because he's picked his strongest point. Right. And that's judgmental. Mm -hmm. But some way if we could pick our weakest points and then stand this man up here beside us with his strongest points and judge ourselves like that, we'd probably come out of losing. Mm -hmm. 
Come on. But we have a tendency to be judgmental. Individuals, there's some individuals who are just simply more strong-willed than others. I mean, there's individuals without the power of the Holy Ghost in their life that has the ability to live good moral lives. While the other individuals with that power find it a battle to be able to live good moral lives. And so people with strong wills, let this be a warning, people with strong wills are more subject to be judgmental than others. Because they have had the abilities to be overcomers in areas and they see other people floundering around in that. Now what God is actually saying Leave the judge. How many times did Paul write it? Leave the judging to me. God is saying that there's coming a time when we're going to appear. Now this is saints. Paul writes that the saints is going to appear before the judgment bar of Christ and answer for all the deeds done in the flesh or in the body. That's the judgment of the saints. They'll never stand before the white throne judgment, the judgment of those who have disallowed Christ in their life, but there is a place in the history of time someplace where saints are judged. And if we're not judged here, we're going to be judged there. And so it's a definite no-no. And yet it's something that we put a yes-yes in. It's a definite no-no to be judged men. To Well, Paul says comparing yourself with yourself is not wise. In other words, he's trying to say, we look at somebody and say, well, they do it, why can't I? And so actually, we're, we're always going to find somebody that'll sin with us, somebody that'll talk with us, somebody that'll gossip with us, somebody that'll backbite with us. We're always going to find somebody that fits that mold. And Paul said, quit comparing yourself with them. And then another thing that can hurt or defile or bring to ruin the, the temple of God is just failing to do our part in the body of Christ. Some people have the obsession that about all they got to do is come and sit on a seat and criticize. Amen, Brother Hostbaugh. I mean, some people think that's their duty. That's their part of the body of Christ. That that's all that they're supposed to do is just come in and, sorry to say, take a back seat. I'm not going to say that. <laughs> come in and take a seat. Where's Daryl? <laughs> He's in the back seat. <laughs> Uh, well, all right, symbolically take a back seat and look around and find everything that's wrong with what everybody else is doing, and that's their part of the body of Christ. Well, that's failing to do our part. That's right. Uh, well, I believe a lot of people don't fail because they don't ever do that. I mean, you, you, actually, you actually can never fail if you don't do anything. You've been a failure, but you've never failed in anything because you've never done anything. Right. A lot of people don't do something because, uh, do anything because they're afraid to fail. And uh, another thing that hurts, this hinders a local body of Christ as well as uh, individual life is finding our place in the house of the Lord and, and in, the, in the place of worship, finding our place there, realizing we do have a place there and finding it and living in it and working in it and being satisfied in it. And, and uh, not being envious of somebody else because of maybe what they're called to do or their abilities. Each individual, each particular body of Christ is important and just as honorable to Christ as any other part of it. Paul wrote concerning that, that 
some of the people we see more often. It doesn't mean they're more honorable than the little toll or what have you. It usually stands uh, there. It's usually got a sock on it or a shoe on it. Nobody ever sees it or anything. And yet it's so important for balance and for different things. It's necessary. And uh, all the body can't be an eye and all the body can't be an ear. But we do need to find our place in the body of Christ, in local worship. Everybody ought to have a local church to become part of. Everybody ought to have that. They ought to seek it out and they ought to find it because there's where strength is. Uh, hopping from one place to another uh, certainly doesn't establish anybody. You can't be established in, in doing that. And so that's one way we can hurt the body of Christ, having judgmental attitudes, failing to find our part and do it, and failing to find our place and staying in our place and doing what is best for the upbuilding of God's kingdom and cause and for the upbuilding of our local assembly. This is actually for the upbuilding of God's kingdom and cause. It's to build our own local assembly. And I've said it before, we need an assembly that people respect and recognize whether they ever set foot in it or not. Right. They need to recognize and respect us for who we are and what we are and the walk of life that we have, whether we ever see them in the house of God or not. Now, we ought to be real careful about the concerns of the temple, what we are. When we're walking around out here in this world, it's easy to forget that this is God's temple out there. This is God's temple when we drive up to the gas station. This is God's temple when we get in a lot of traffic and people's not moving and we get uh, kind of angry. This is God's temple. He's dwelling in it. This is God's temple when somebody rubs us the wrong way. We need to realize that this is God's temple all the time. He's still in there. He doesn't yes. go up and come down. He's in there. He stays Amen. in there. And we ought to be careful of that in our church life. And most of us uh, put on some pretty good shoes when we come to church. Yes. Everybody's on their best behavior. They put on their Sunday face when they come to church. But people don't see you in here. That's right. People see you out there. They sure do. What kind of face you got on out there. And you need to be aware that that's what they're seeing. So we need to recognize that God is concerned about the temple in not only his uh, church life, but in the church work. And these are serious things. I don't think there's any room for trifling in here. I think these are simply serious things. Mm -hmm. And how many people there are mm -hmm. simply that's living in the church who seem to feel little or no responsibility whatsoever for the local congregation. I mean, just and this can be gauged by our faithfulness to God's house. What we do for God's house. How we upbuild that house. And a lot of people have just simply claimed to be part of it and uh, there's simply no faithfulness hardly in any area whatsoever. And, and this has an effect. You're still the temple of God. You still recognize, right, recognize this thing. And uh, it's not a trifling thing. I think that's the reason Paul underscored that in the 17th verse immediately after he let us know that we were the temple of God. He underscored that. Now I'm going to say again, he's actually saying what they said in the Old Testament uh, about doing my prophets no harm and touch not mine anointed. He was actually just reiterating that and putting the authority of God on that. So God's temple must not be modern. If God dwells in believers, 
How many believe God dwells in believers? Yes. Amen. Then simply any injury done to them is done to essentially. Right. And if we are a part of that body, let's go over it again. If we are part of that body, an injury done to an individual is an injury done to us. So we're actually hurting ourselves. Now let's consider again the things that mar the temple. Sin, almost in every form, pollutes, injures the uh, soul and injures the temple of God. And it's an outrage. And after a while, God refuses to dwell in something that continues to be completely unholy. That's right. And he simply departs from that. And we can bar the temple of God by just setting up idols. Now, we do it different in America than they do in India. Amen? Come on. We look at India and say, now that is the most idolatrous nation there is. Sometimes I wonder. I mean, you don't, you don't see America's idols so much because we don't label them idols. India labels them idols. This right. is an idol for this, this is an idol for that. It could be a rock, it could be a stone, it could be a bookie, it could be a cow, or whatever. I don't know how many idols they've got, but they label it. You know that these are idols because that's what they say. But we simply don't label ours as idols at all. It, any place, or any person, or anything mm -hmm. that comes before God, we become guilty of idols. So our idols can be our children, can be our grandchildren, can be our home, can be our automobile, can be our job, can be our wife, can be our husband. Uh, so many things, actually, that we could just put up and say, we're going to worship this today. Now, come on, you know we do that. We don't necessarily just say that, but that's what we're doing. Amen. We're not as open as they are in India, where we've got, they've got thousands of idols. And so anything we place before God, we're guilty of idolatry. Yeah. Ought to be a little careful about that, because that's marring the temple of God. And then we can mar the temple of God by simply just throwing it open, letting the world trample on us. I've said before, we're, we're, we're simply a sacred thing. It's holy ground. We ought to be careful how we treat it. And none but consecrated feet ought to be able to, to walk on it. We're not a public street. We're a sacred enclosure right. that God has chosen for his very own. And the things that pollute this world should never be allowed to pollute our sanctuary or God's sanctuary, which is us. We should be very careful who walks on the streets, walks up and down our lives. We as church and individuals simply are not to act out worldly principle. It seems to be the purpose of today. But we simply not to embrace as people, people of God worldly principles, employ carnal means, or seek secular ends to our life. It's not supposed to be done. All such intruders, according to John, the second chapter, 14, 17, verse, defiles the temple of God. There is a penalty, of course, against those that mar the temple of God. He who defiles the temple, the sanctuary, of course, in the Old Testament, he said, is punished by death. And you realize that. A man is destroying himself, reiterating that. And there's a warning to Christians in that about espousing error, about practicing sin. I found something really that's generally goes on today that's maybe we don't recognize, and that, that's a party spirit. 
You ever notice party spirits in the church? Now, I don't mean that you go out and have parties. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a separation of ourselves, and we have our own little clique yeah. inside yeah. the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. Now, it's all right. Everybody has somebody they can get along better with. But a party spirit or having your own little cliques inside the particular body of Christ is a dangerous thing. It's an erroneous thing, yes. and it brings injury to the very thing that you're attached to. All Christians ought to simply have the same respect one for another. And it's easy to get a party spirit. Now here's what happens with a party spirit. Whenever you get together and you're all friends, everybody gets along just fine, and whatever you do includes that group, that's all. The rest of them ostracized. Because uh, they disagree maybe in some points and so on. So you, you're not necessarily that you don't like them. You just simply ostracize them. And then you're all in there and you're all good friends. And then what happens? One individual gets crossways with the Sunday school teacher, the pastor, or somebody else. One individual gets kind of crossways with him. And then they immediately go to these individuals who are their friends and they talk about it and because they are friends not because they believe that this has happened but because they are friends they side with them. Right. That's right. a party spirit. That's a destructive spirit. That's what's destroyed churches, hurt churches, devoured churches and kept division in churches. It's simply because somewhere somehow man has not learned to stand on his own two feet and gauge things according to the scriptures. And I know individuals that simply have sided with other individuals, not because they believe this individual has done wrong, but because that party that they were spouse to, friends with, they didn't want to cross them, they wanted to please them. Right. So they just naturally sided in. Here then was wrong. Caused by one individual that got a little bit crossways with somebody else. It's dangerous. Yes, it is. Yes. I said it's dangerous. And the longer a church exists together, now maybe I'm out of order here, but I want to point out the danger. I, I told you before, all, all I can do is tell you the truth. The longer a church exists together without adding new members, the more dangerous it is to become and get with a party spirit. That's right. Simply because we have come together, we've raised together, we've suffered one another's hurts together, and then let somebody else come in. They're an outsider. And they're more or less alienated. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right? Come on, it's the truth. I told somebody, I told my wife, and that's about as far as it's going to go, sometimes I feel like a stepchild. <laughs> I'm the new individual that comes in, and people get sick. Do I get called? Not very much. But somebody else tells me that so-and-so told them to tell so-and-so to tell me. Come on. And when I look at it, I understand. I can understand. It don't make me feel good, but we have banded together so much for the sake of unity and keeping the place together until all at once everybody else, regardless of how much they want to be, everybody else are excluded in a sense. It's not good. And we need to face that idea that it can happen in our midst. And realize that, that an open embrace for anybody that wants to come into the house of God and give them just as much benefit of the doubts as we would somebody that we've known for 25, 30, 35, 40, 55, or 60 years. Right. And this eliminates then what is termed as a party spirit. 
And this leaves the avenue open. Then for individuals to come in and feel like they're just as much a part of you as somebody that's been here for years and years and years. Right. And we don't intentionally do that. I'm not right. saying that. Right. No church intentionally does this. But when we fail to bring children into the kingdom of God and fail to have individuals coming in and adding to the church daily, this is the danger we face. Mm -hmm. And unless we know it's a danger, saints, we can't do anything about it. That's right. And if we resist the truth, and all we've got to do is just look around, and perhaps we have been guilty. There's been times... I spent a lot of years, almost 19 years in one place, and there's times when I saw myself caught up in this. Individuals that I would uh, count as friends, and I counted them as friends simply because they thought like I did. Everybody likes somebody that thinks like they do. And you're going to surround yourself with people that thinks like you think. And there's nothing wrong with that other than while we're doing this, we're alienating other individuals. We're having this click over here, and this one over there, and this one over there, which would be nothing wrong with that if we would just make up our own minds and be our own judge as to what the division or fault is right. in lives. And there again, Paul said, if any man defile the temple of God, you are part of this, regardless of how many times you meet with somebody else and exclude other individuals, doesn't keep you from being part of the body of Christ, it's still part of you. Right. And we need to recognize any time we're doing this, we're hurting the very thing that we are a part of. Mm -hmm. That thing which we sweat blood and tears for, have worked for, and wanted to upbuild with one swipe of a hand and one slip of the tongue, we have marked. Right. And we've destroyed it. That's why Paul is writing here, and that's why he's telling us before he goes any further with that, that you're the temple of God, and you need to recognize that and realize what we're doing. Now we can mar the temple by aiming blows at its very life. The life source of the temple. By striking at its holiness mm -hmm. and its unity and its variety. Right. But friend, in spite of it all, in spite of how we weaken, in spite of how we tear down, in spite of how we run out or destroy, nobody can actually demolish the church of God. True. God will have a people. Yes, He will. He's going to have an everlasting church. In fact, the Bible even says, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It simply will not stop. Regardless what we think, regardless what we say, or regardless of what we do, we can hinder, we can mar, we certainly cannot completely destroy. But we can be sure, we're going to close with this, that there will be punishment. God's not going to come down and zap you. He's not going to do that. He's just simply going to let the law judge you. That would be set forth, and you're actually being zapping yourself. And we need to take heed, lest we destroy that which is a vital part.